Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. I tell you, it's been a fascinating uh, few days uh, and how quickly things came together because a week ago it looked like training camps were going to start late. There was no deals done between the NFL Players Association and the NFL owners. I mean, there were some things that were agreed upon, but, you know, and then, of course, when they had the conference call on fr- on Friday with DeMora Smith and talking about uh, where things were going, he said, well, the guys are expected to report on time, and sure enough, they are doing it as best they can. But let's kind of go over these last uh, – this last week, Dan Graziano, who does a great job for ESPN, uh, covering the uh, all the labor things that are going on along with everything else. But, Dan, I, we start off here, and I, I still remember two years ago at the Super Bowl, because we compared notes on that, that uh, we got the idea that the NFL Players Association wanted to get a deal done for the CBA, and also the relationship was going to be better. And I think that's the one thing that's now proven out You know, through the last two years. There's some bumps in the road and all that stuff. But the union and the NFL, they've been working together pretty well. Yeah, I mean, look, these things are never smooth and easy, right? They are they are at odds on some issues still with regard to reopening. And, and John, I really think the big fight that's coming is over the, the big picture financial issues, right? The owners want to, want to take the, the revenue hit this year and just sort of rebuild starting next year. That's going to be significant impact on players' contracts for this year and next year's salary cap. So the players are pushing back on that, and they're still not finalized in terms of the training camp ramp-up period and what the rules will be if guys want to opt out. But progress being made on those matters, and yeah, I think there are times where the two sides get sick of each other. I think there's a little bit of fatigue right now because they were just back and forth in February and March on CBA stuff, and they probably thought they'd have a longer break from each other. Uh, than, than they've turned out to have. But uh, I think you're right. I mean, it, it can be you know, like any negotiation where there's two sides looking for two different things. I think uh, it can be contentious at times, but it does seem to have been uh, productive, even if it's not necessarily at the speed that uh, some people might like. Yeah, but I'll tell you the thing that uh, – because a lot of these things have kind of fallen into the pattern that I think we both thought was going to happen. I mean, for example, uh, you know, some of the agreements. I think that, uh, you know, once the players were so adamant about no preseason and the joint committee mm-hmm. basically said to cut down the preseason games and, uh, you know, there was that big – tweet fest that happened on Sunday uh, with all the players and a lot of the top quarterbacks and all that. But uh, we, I think we all kind of figured it was going to be tough to have preseason games, particularly knowing there's going to be nobody in the stands and you can do damage to the body and also you know, risk any kind of uh, problems with uh, the, the virus. And that was the player's point was like, look, they're not doing a bubble thing like the NBA is doing where everybody's in the same place. But within the context of each individual team, they're, they're sort of bubbling up the best they can, right? Each team facility has its own protocols and, and means of keeping everybody safe. And if you take one team and you put it on a bus and a plane and into another team's stadium, and then they're, they're playing football for three hours, uh, you're, you're, you're mixing the you know, two ecosystems, right? And, and now you're in, increasing your chances of transmission, which obviously, yes, will happen once the season starts. But the player's point was, that those are real games. These the games don't count. 
So what's the reason to risk exposure for games that don't even count in the standings? And and I think uh, the NFL saw the light on that ultimately. Yeah, and you kind of sense. I mean, again, a lot of this is positioning for bargaining and all those different things. You know, the uh, owners come out with the idea. Uh, it's like, oh, let's put thirty five percent of your salaries in escrow, and we'll try to give it to you next yeah. year. And of course, you knew that one wasn't going to go. But you know, there's and, and of course, you know, on the daily testing, uh, that was not going to totally sell because first off bio labs the laboratory the company that does the nba had no ability to do testing like that every day for an entire season they just didn't have the capacity to do it so you knew the trade-off would be okay you come in you get your test you wait a couple days for the test results you test again then you get into the building then you have two weeks of testing and then after that if you get down to below five percent positive then uh, you go every other day and I think one thing people need to understand is like when we, we talk to people around the league that were involved in this decision-making process two months ago, you heard a lot about an expectation from people in the league based on the conversations they've had with their medical advisors that maybe by this point there would be more advances in testing, more availability of testing, and that the country would in general be in a different place with regard to the virus. And that hasn't proven out to be true certainly not to the extent that it's happened in other countries. And I think that has frustrated some of the people that are in these discussions and have kind of put these discussions on a little bit different plane than they expected them to be uh, when they were talking this through back in you know, April and May. So um, that's been a challenge, but they get to the point where, you, you know, the daily testing for the first couple of weeks, there's a hope around the league that uh, testing will develop to the point where it's not necessarily a nasal swab and 24 hours for results that will be able to get a saliva test and maybe more instantaneous results. But that hasn't happened yet. Or those tests aren't out there or, or at least uh, reliable enough and available enough. So they're going to go with what's available to them. They've contracted with a private laboratory, BioReference Laboratories, is, is the one, and they believe they'll be able to get tests back within 24 hours. So um, that's where it stands in terms of the testing. They're hoping that that 5% threshold isn't, uh, you know, isn't going to be a problem. They were, I know they were very encouraged late last week by Major League Baseball's testing numbers, which showed a significant drop uh, since the first round of testing. So um, they are looking at that closely. The, the, the NBA, yes, got to zero, but, again, they're doing a, a bubble thing, and the NFL's not. So it's kind of looking at other sports that aren't, uh, including Major League Baseball. Yeah, and the one thing I think we both have to warn uh, – football fans and even some of the uh, people around the league. It's like, uh, don't be surprised if there's going to be 150 to 180 players that test positive upon reporting. And that's mainly because right. I'm just going at the 5%. You know, and when you have uh, 2,800 players, uh, then you know, you know that at the very least would be you know, 140 positive tests. I know that they amended the number with the NFL Players Association. They said yesterday it was 95, but it's 59 players right now that they know have tested that, that are testing positive. But, uh, you know, once you get through the initial wave here, as far as those tests, it's going to be high, but then it starts to clear up. Yeah, I mean, that, that number on the NFLPA site, I mean, they haven't tested anybody yet. That's that's players who've tested positive and, and told them that they did, right? So right. it's not, there's no program in place that leads to that number. So that's just a, that's just a number of people who've reported. But yeah, I think there's an expectation that upon arrival, the first round of testing will produce uh, a certain number of positive tests because everyone's going to be coming in from different places, different places around the country, different places around the world in some cases, and, uh, and will be bringing it with them. So 
The issue will, of course, be quarantining those people that test positive, make sure to limit their contact, and then hopefully within a couple weeks, the testing will show that everyone's being careful and things are being kept clean and safe at the team facilities, and they'll all feel a little bit better about the project. Because right now there's a lot of trepidation about the ability to keep people safe and about the ability to not only start but but finish the season. That's the thing you keep hearing, right? So, um uh, the first couple of rounds of testing and the results of those will tell the tale. No doubt. Uh, getting into the uh, monetary uh, position right now, uh, now has there been an agreement if the season is stopped short, if they don't get uh, the 16 games? Uh, because the way the CBA has been is that once a vested veteran gets into his first game, then his salary is guaranteed the rest of the season. Did they get around that uh, and settle on that? No, uh, that's that's still being talked about. As of last night, players had a call last night, which all players were invited to. And you know, talking to people who were on that call, uh, it sounds like they're just not in agreement on the procedures and the numbers for opt-outs and for what happens if the season gets canceled or some games get canceled or, or it gets shut down in training camp. So they got to figure out some numbers. Like, for instance, one thing I heard was uh, if you opt out, for a medical reason, like if you're in a high-risk category and you opt out, they, they'll give you a, a stipend, a $250,000 stipend if you're on the active roster and 100000 if you're on the practice squad. And that might come off of next year's salary, assuming you come back and your contract would toll. But I think they're, they're working through some of the numbers and how those stipends would apply in other cases, such as the one you mentioned, right, where the season gets shut down in like week three or four um, what, what happens to the players' contracts and, and, and all that. So that that's a big complicated probably ugly conversation that's going on because it's tied to the owner's projections of revenue loss as a result of playing in empty stadiums or the possibility of games getting canceled and uh, they're asking the players to sort of share the pain and the players obviously are pushing back on that as you would expect them to and uh and on and on we go in terms of how it works with uh, collectively bargained labor labor issues now putting on our labor negotiating cap here trying to figure out next year's salary cap i think it's not as difficult. I mean, again, it's, it's going to take some time, but I, here's the thing that I would have to think is going to happen. You know, the NFL, because you know, when you realize that uh, you know, the Players Association predicts it's going to be $3 billion to $3.5 billion, maybe that's a little bit light on the numbers as far as lost revenue, that uh, what happens is that uh, you know, it's going to be a 48% cap, but it'll probably end up being 48-5 next year if they do the 17 games. Then you come back, and then you, uh, you, know, you realize it's not the $70 million loss that people were saying in the cap because the cap will be less than half of 50%. And what it basically comes down to, and of course, you know, you've got uh, all the benefits in there, which is about 18% of the number. So it's going to be about a $40 million loss on the cap. But, you know, the owners right now want to make it up as fast as they can. But if mm-hmm. you take it this year, you know that's not they'll, they'll move off of that. Because if, if they do that and take the cap below 198.2, what ends up happening is that uh, the whole NFC blows up. Because, you know, you've got Jerry Jones in Dallas, New Orleans, Atlanta. I mean, a lot of the top NFC teams are over the cap. Philadelphia, for example, they're $60 million over yeah, the cap. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know that yeah. uh, they'll, they'll want to spread it over two years because in two years uh, you would keep salaries lower. But I, I would have to think in the end you spread it over four or five, maybe six years, if not longer. 
And I think that's where the players come down on it. They want to spread it out. So let's just, you know, for people who are listening that may not know, the, the salary cap is tied to league revenue projections. And, and so, you know, the higher the revenue goes, and of course it's been spiraling upwards for years and years and years, the higher the cap goes. So if the revenues go down this year, that comes off of next year's projections and um, the cap would go down. So let's say the cap's going to go down, what would you say, like $40 million? $40 million, next yeah. year, let's, 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 uh, Hypothetically, let's say it's, going, it's supposed to go down $40 million from the 198 it was this year. Well, we, we're used to it growing by about $10 million a year. So you're down to 158 off of what would have been about 208 so now, all right, do you take that and say, okay, well, over the next five years, we're just going to take $10 million off the cap, what it otherwise would have been. And that way, um, it spreads it out. The owners, as you mentioned, would like to take the hit in the short term. I, I think they are of the belief that their ratings are going to be through the roof when, they do, when and if they do play games. And they have these new TV um, deals to cut, you know, because the, the deals with all the networks are expiring in the next couple of years, and they feel like uh, when the re- when they, if the ratings are as high as they expect, they'll be in a strong negotiating position, make everything back and more. But the players are like, look, if, if the cap goes down $40 million in one year, it's going to be a bloodbath. Guys are going to get cut like crazy, and it's, it's you know, there are going to be guys that get cut and never get back into the league, and, and so it won't benefit them at all that the salary cap is going to balloon again starting in 2022 because they'll be out of the league by then. So the fair way to do it is to spread it out over a number of years, and then everybody sort of shares relatively equally. So I think, John, ultimately it, it's a matter of them coming to an agreement on how many years is the right number. Because the yeah. players aren't going to accept a one-year hit, and the owners don't want to do this for five or six. So they just got to figure out what the right number is, and, and I think they'll settle there at some point. But I think it'll take a little while. Yeah, I agree. But I think the idea is, if you go back to 2011 and 2012, when the CBA started, that was the last flat cap from 211 to 212. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and remember, it's like... Uh, the franchise numbers, which are tied to the salary cap, uh, basically went down 20%. And so, like, for example, if that happens next year and you have so many good running backs that are going to be up, that, uh, you know, yeah. what, what happens is it, it goes from $10.2 million to uh, probably under eight because how they don't like to pay running backs anymore. And so right. that's going to be an inconvenience, but that's going to bring salaries down dramatically. And that's with a flat cap. If you take it even less, then you're breaking teams up. And I don't think they want to do that. That's why I think that uh, you try to you know get a, a little, you know, keep it at 198.2 for the one year and not two years, because if you do two years of that, it'll be a disaster for players. Yeah, and I think that's that's what they're – and this is – no one saw – no one saw any of this coming, right? We, you know, we've never lived through anything like this. So um, I think there was an expectation when the CBA was being negotiated back last spring, uh, last winter and spring, that um, you know the salary cap growth would continue and that it would get higher and higher because the season would uh, expand to 17 games and the new TV deals would kick in at some point. But now, obviously, nobody can forecast anything in the short-term future, let alone the long-term future. So. Uh, they're going to have to figure out a way to do this, uh, solve a problem that they obviously were not expecting. The CBA, I think, is written and agreed to uh, on, based in part on the idea that revenue would continue to grow. But uh, they're confronting something that they didn't expect. And, and um, I'm fascinated to see how they solve it, because I don't think anyone on either side expected to be dealing with 
this particular problem. No, not exactly. But that's but that's where the impact is. You know, right now you have an AFC where you have uh, a lot of young quarterbacks, you know, like roughly nine to ten starting quarterbacks, and it could be as many as 11 to 12 that are still in their rookie contracts. But in the NFC, you've got like about a dozen quarterbacks making $21 million or more. And if you take the cap down or even keep it flat, it really is going to be tough. Like, for example, for Jerry Jones, yep. what's he going to do if he wants to bring Dak Prescott back? You know, if he brings Dak Prescott, Prescott back the top eight cap numbers on the Dallas Cowboys next year would be a hundred and forty five million dollars yeah. that doesn't leave a lot of room that's why Jerry wanted that longer deal he spread that signing bonus out a little bit for cap purposes and, and help yourself out so yeah whatever happens teams are gonna have to get creative with how they structure contracts next year and, and any extensions that are done this year because you're gonna have to be super careful to get around uh, next year's cap. So you may see some weird-looking contracts, right, that have low numbers next year, and then they balloon in years beyond that. But, again, before those, any of those get done, they're going to want answers on not just what next year's cap looks like, but uh, the next, I guess, three or four or five. And we got the first example of that with uh, Patrick Mahomes, because basically mm-hmm. you can talk about, wow, he got $450 million over 10 years. In reality, it's a 12-year deal that's uh, 39.8, and where it's 39.8, is in the first two years, he kept the numbers the same. I, I know he got a $10 million signing bonus, but it's still the same rough cap numbers in the first two years, and it's still the $27.2 million, uh, over two years. And then the money starts kicking in when in 2022 the cap should go up because of TV contracts. Yeah, and I think that's part of their calculus. I mean, look, that's a deal that, as you mentioned, I mean, I think that helps the team, and it's gotten some press because they say it helped them re-sign Chris Jones and all that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Mahomes, it seemed like the the biggest part of that contract comes after the first four or five years in in the non-guaranteed portion. So uh, kind of strange. I guess he got about 100 – he'll have 183 guaranteed after five years. Um, which is nice, obviously nice, but that doesn't, that's not a whole lot more than my understanding of what the Cowboys were offering back Prescott. And, and uh, so, yeah, very interesting deal there. But it, it will, whether it's designed to or not, and probably does, was done with that in mind, it should help them around some short-term cap issues that they might have had. Yeah. To kind of sum it all up now, do you see any problem in uh, being able to get ca- training camps fully reporting on the 28th and then get into camps with that uh, ramp-up period? Because right now, I, don't, I, I mean, I know there's still things they're working on, but I don't foresee I mean, that being a change. Yeah, I mean, that, do, you, do you see any problem? I mean, like, like you open your door and then you're confronted with a world of problems right now, right? Like, what if, if California imposes a stay-at-home order? Then where are the 49ers and the Chargers and the Rams going to train, right? Like, like there, there are potential you know, uh, you know, grenades that could go off here because of the circumstances that we're all living through. But in terms of the league and in terms of what they're setting up and, and, and assuming none of those external factors um, go haywire here in the next couple of days, yeah, I think the NFL and the NFLPA are close enough to an agreement on the key issues that that they will be able to start training camp on time as the league has consistently said it wants to. Dan Grassiano from ESPN, thank you so much for bringing us and giving us the education on Schooled with the Professor. John, anytime. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.